Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Welcome back to hour number two. Today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you live right here in Tucson. As uh, If you're listening on the AM side at 1490, if you choose to listen on the FM side, a little more depth and richness at 104.9. Or if you're listening via the live stream, you can find on ESPNTucson.com. We do appreciate you tuning in. I know that you have a choice of uh, where to lend your ears to gather your sports information and entertainment and opinions in the mornings, and we do appreciate you choosing Tucson's only local morning sports talk show, the Jeff Dean Show, right here on ESPN Tucson. You can also download the podcast so that you can listen at your leisure. Download it anywhere you get your podcast, whether it be Stitcher or TuneIn or Apple or Amazon, Audible, all the different places you can get your uh, podcast. You can get the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson, and we do a uh, Mary does a great job of uploading that within a couple hours after the uh, after the show has ended, and uh, we appreciate you in all facets of tuning in to the show. Also, you can interact with me if you uh, if you want to go to Twitter at UAZ Voice. That's at UAZ Voice. You can uh, tweet me there, and uh, many of you have, <laughs> and I appreciate it. So uh, thank you for that as well. Um, Let's continue to talk NFL rookie quarterbacks. I didn't get enough out of it there. I, you know, I, ha- I have a lot of stuff prepared here, and it's the end of the hour, but it's such a quick two-minute break. It almost doesn't feel like any kind of a real break, so we'll just continue where we were at. Now, I was talking about Zach Wilson because I felt like you know, in watching the highlights of the game, and I watched some of the, you know, some of the game, you know, red zone, you can just click over and start watching some stuff. Like, oh, he's on the field. Let's, let's see how he handles this drive that starts at the 14-yard line or something like that. And, you know, first half was not good at all. Um, and the second half was was much much better. Now the Jets' offense didn't help him much. They were the league's worst rushing team this uh, this uh, this week, um, averaging two and a half yards per carry in the running game, which is uh, just flat awful. I mean, you can't get much worse than that. You have to try not to run the football uh, to be worse than that. Um, I mentioned they lost Mackay Becton, their left tackle. I think he was in the second second series of the game. They didn't play with that with Jamison Crowder, so. They were you know, Zach, Zach Wilson was at a huge, a distinct disadvantage. Um, he did face a lot of quarterback pressures, 14 of them um, in that game. So the offensive line was not great. And uh, Carolina Panthers did a good job of kind of mixing in some blitzes and some stunts and showing him some things and showing the offensive line um, some things. I just feel like when I watch him play, he is at a level above of where his teammates are right now. And I didn't think I would be saying that. I really didn't. This is me kind of eating crow here because I felt like Zach Wilson was, uh, I, I didn't want to say a poor pick because obviously you watch him at BYU and you're like, this kid's got, you know, he can, he can flat out score some points. He's just like, he's like that NBA baller, right? He's a guy who just gets, gets buckets. Doesn't have a great looking jump shot. Uh, maybe doesn't, you know, doesn't have the best fundamentals. Is a little bit of a ball hog and something like that. But dude gets buckets and he can go off for like nine at a, you know, in a, in a, in a you know, two-minute run kind of thing. He's that dude. But he's got he's got some real skill. Like, he scrambling out of the pocket, and he just – he finds ways. This is it, – it's, it's one of – he's one of those interesting guys. He's not like Brett Favre. Brett Favre was you know, the, the, the Wild West gunslinger who would just try to use his arm to rifle balls into a tight window where he could force a ball past a receiver and – or past a, uh, past a defender into his receiver's hands. And was constantly, you know, they, they were constantly running fly routes and stuff, and he'd tell guys, just go, 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 go. He wasn't a guy that would, ex- would extend a play just to get a big gain out of it. 
Zach Wilson is that guy. Zach Wilson a lot of times will go off schedule to try to create something that wasn't there before. He does a, a phenomenal job, and, he's of course, he's got the arm to do it. He's got a, a gun, an absolute cannon for an arm. Um, but he, 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 you see him do things, and it just, just in week one of watching you know, the game, especially in the second half, and he's like, screw this, dink and dunk crap, I'm going to play my game. And he would stand in there in the pocket, the, the pocket would break down because their offensive line was terrible, and then he would just kind of break out. And instead of, like, hitting the check down, he would get out of, get out of harm's way and try to just rifle the ball downfield, and he was working. Like he had, you know, 257 passing yards, I think, in the game. He, he was, he's fun to watch. He really is fun to watch, and I think it's going to be fun to watch Jets games for the first time in a long time this year. If they can give him any kind of protection – and if they can allow any kind of a, of, of a semblance of a running game to to uh, to uh, you know to to happen for him, uh, I think the Jets are going to win a few games this year. Granted, it's not a good football team. We're not saying the Jets are a good football team. I just feel like if they can just give him a little bit of help, it's going to go a long ways. His QBR was terrible. He was like twenty eight QBR. Uh, he was like number twenty three in the league. I think this this week in in total QBR. So again, the numbers weren't great. But watching the game and just kind of understanding the situation that he's in, I felt like he did he did a really good job. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I started talking about Trevor Lawrence. You want to talk about QBR? His I think his might have been the worst of any of the starters. His QBR was like fourteen point two in week one. That's really really bad, by the way. Look, you watch the game again. Don't go off the statistics. He was twenty eight of fifty one. He missed a ton of passes. He had three hundred thirty two yards passing. The game was a blowout, obviously. Uh, Houston really put it on Jacksonville. He threw three picks. He also threw three touchdowns. These are the kind of numbers. Like, this is like what we saw to Peyton Manning his first year, right? We would see Peyton Manning throw for, you know, throw 50 passes in a game, throw three touchdowns, throw three picks, throw for 350 yards or whatever, and look like a deer in the headlights in some situations and then look like the most brilliant quarterback on the planet in other situations. Trevor Lawrence looked that way in the Jags game. You know, he... He had the the uh, the the forty one yard uh, the forty one yard pass to uh, uh, DJ Chark, uh, his uh, his his wide receiver DJ Chark, okay, where he basically it was it was play action pass, which wasn't helping them because they weren't running the football anyway. Like it's, let me just retract for a second. Let me just back up for a moment here. First of all, I felt like Jacksonville's offensive game plan may have been one of the worst things I've seen in my life. Like it, it was, it was that bad. They called sixteen running plays and then had Trevor Lawrence run twenty-one play-action passes. Like, dude, okay. Here, here's the thing: you have to establish a running game, or even let the defense kind of possibly think that you might hand the ball off in order to have a successful play-action passing game. He had twenty-one play-action passes and they only ran the ball sixteen times. Dude, like, what are you thinking? And it's not Trevor Lawrence's fault. I'm looking at you, Urban Meyer, and your offensive coordinators and your passing game coordinators. Like, what are you thinking? <laughs> you, why? Why even, why even put that element into the offense if you're not going to run the football? So, play action pass, okay? He was, they, they, I think they, you know, he was, 
you know, I think he he actually did pretty well in the in the in the play action passes. But 11 yards per attempt on the uh, on the play action passes, and then he had that 41 yarder, which was a really really nice play. Just threw that dart right between the two defenders. It was a perfectly placed ball. And you watch plays like that, and you're like, yeah, that's that's Trevor Lawrence. That's like that's the dude that we watched at Clemson the last three years. That's the guy that could put, you know essentially use his his arm strength and his accuracy to deliver a ball just like that. Like that's the beautiful thing about his game that you that you can see. And he's also got excellent footwork, and he's a good athlete, and he's six six, and he's tall, and he can see over the line of scrimmage. And things are going, th- good things are going to happen for Trevor Lawrence. He is too good of a talent, too good of a quarterback to get into this league and completely fail. Now, the team around him may fail him, but I believe what we saw out of uh, out of Trevor Lawrence is more about his individual ability to be a, a, a good starting quarterback, if not an excellent, a great starting quarterback in this league, than it was you know, more about like the, the team just kind of failing him, in my opinion. 52 dropbacks, he was only blitzed four times. Um, Houston, you know, David Culley just said, we're going to sit back and test this kid's intelligence and there were times that he failed but also look you, you can't you, you can't run the ball 16 times against a four-man front and expect anyone on that field to respect your play action passing game you just you just can't that's just it was horrible horrible offensive scheming by Jacksonville in that game so I blame the coaching staff I blame his his game planners on that one the offensive coordinator and Urban Meyer need to go back to class and uh, and learn how to scheme an offense because Houston's defense is not great. And they were just basically sitting back and saying, throw the ball, throw the ball. And Jacksonville did just that. They were dropping seven every single time. They blitzed four times in the game, the league low. The lowest lowest amount of blitzes in the league this, this week was Houston against Jacksonville, four. I mean, come on. Like let's let's understand what the defense is doing here. Not just let our quarterback go out there and have to make all of the reads for you know for himself and do it all by himself. That's basically what he was doing out there. I don't know. Maybe Urban Meyer's already got his eyes on the USC job and has already got one foot out the door. Wouldn't be surprised. He's the Larry Brown of of, uh, of football. Wouldn't be surprised by that. Other rookie quarterbacks. You know, not much to note on the Trey Lance situation. Um, his pro football focus number was 60.1. I think he was like the number 22 rated quarterback in pro football focus. He threw one pass. It was a touchdown pass, a five-yard touchdown pass on a on a, uh, a, a first and goal play. Um, hits Trent Sherfield on a, on a rub route or a pick play, if you will. It was super easy. <laughs> it was his only read on the play. If it wasn't there, he was to throw it away or tuck and run. And uh, he made the play happen, throws a touchdown in his first play. His other two plays that he, he got in on were both running plays. He got three yards in those. So not much to go off of what Trey Lance did. And, again, with, with what the 49ers are doing, Kyle Shanahan's going to get him more involved. I don't expect Trey Lance to start any games this year. Jimmy, Jimmy G is, is a perfectly capable quarterback. He's 25-8 of eight as a starter for the 49ers, which is a phenomenal record. Um, and as long as he stays healthy, Trey Lance will continue to be the backup slash uh, gadget-style quarterback, mix-it-up uh, quarterback in through and out the series of the games. And then there's Justin Fields. So not much to go off of, again, with Justin Fields. Did come in the game for a few plays. Um, had the rushing touchdown, okay? Was 2-for-2 two two in the passing game for 10 yards. But here's the difference with what I saw from Justin Fields. In it's one of those things that 
you know, it, it doesn't show up on a stat sheet. You can't quantify it. You can't even cut it with a knife. But you can just kind of tell it's happening. And the players really respond to when Justin is on the field with them. You can just kind of tell. There's a, there's a, and I wasn't even in the stadium, and you could tell watching that Bears game that th- there's just a different feeling when he's out there. The sideline even seems a little more elevated, a little more engaged than when Andy Dalton is there. And this is not a knock on Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton does just fine. But there's a certain sense of excitement when you watch a player like Justin Fields. And the other 52 guys, or I should maybe 51 guys, Andy Dalton's probably not included in this list, but the other 51 guys on that, on that team are, feel the same way that we as fans do when, when Justin Fields takes, takes, the, uh, takes the field. It's, there's a certain level of excitement around him being on the field and, and the potential for a powder keg moment, right, where, where he just does something spectacular. Um, he was very unspectacular in the game, but when you watch him play and when you watch him on the field and you watch how the players respond, I think it's just a matter of time before Matt Nagy has to make the decision to put him in there as a starter. Now, for the time being, Matt Nagy has this – I think it's kind of a luxury at the moment because everybody knows he's not going to just have him start week two because then you have complete egg on your face. You look like a complete moron if you start him in week two or week three, but you didn't have him starting week one. You, I mean, that just looks stupid on you if you're a head coach. You would never admit to doing that. You'd rather lose games 42 to nothing than admit that you're an idiot, right? <laughs> okay? So that's not going to happen. So Matt Nagy's kind of in a comfortable position right now because what he can do is he can start Andy Dalton for the, for the first five weeks, six weeks of the season. Bring in Justin Fields for that excitement moment. And, and start maybe integrating him a little bit more into the offense, putting him in better scoring positions, you know, first and goal, uh, you know, give him red zone looks, things like that. Situations against teams who, you know, may have already tipped their hand as to where the blitzes are coming from or what kind of coverages they're going to play against your receivers. Let the offensive coordinator just kind of feel the game out a little bit before you send Justin in there. Give him some, some individual instruction on the sidelines. Say, look, they're rolling their safeties over. They're doubling, they're, you know, they're, they're jub, they're doubling the, uh, the, the, the non-boundary side. They're playing single man on boundary. They're playing double man on non-boundary. Look for these types of plays. We're going to have your receivers run these routes. If you want a hot route, tap your foot. We want to see how you throw the hot route, those kind of things, okay? So <laughs> I was reminded of, of wedding crashes right there. Hot route, hot route, hot route. Always makes me laugh. Uh, so, he, he, Matt Nagy's in this unique situation right now where he can just kind of play a little bit because he knows that Andy Dalton's going to go out there and be his starter, and Andy will run the game plan the way that the way that it was designed during the week of of preparation. Then you can bring in Justin Fields, elevate the feeling on on the team, and whether Justin Fields succeeds or fails, he's going to continue to have that same influence on the team during this early portion of his career, the first five, six, seven weeks of this particular season for the Bears. But in about six or seven weeks, then things are going to start to get a little hot for Matt Nagy. Look, it's not an easy schedule for the Bears this year. They do have the Lions coming up, but uh, they have the well, they have the, they have the Bengals this week, right? This is a tough matchup for, you know, for Chicago. As I mentioned, the Bengals, are, I think, are a good football team. Um, then they got the Lions coming up in week four. But then they also have – other games coming up in before they go to buy. Their bye week is the tenth week for the Bears. Before they go to buy, they got to play the Packers, 
the Browns, the Buccaneers, the Steelers, the 49ers. Like, this is not an easy schedule for the Bears, and you may not want to throw Justin Fields out in front of those experienced and powerful teams, especially some of the defenses out there. The Browns defense, the Bucks defense, 49ers defense, Steelers defense, all really, really, really good. And uh, you may you may not want to throw him out there to the to the Wolves just yet. So I think Matt Nagy's in a in a unique situation. I think he's in a favorable situation. You can elevate the the uh, the morale of your team by inserting Justin Fields into moments of the games without losing confidence in Andy Dalton and still appeasing the fans and uh, and and upper management. Um, who drafted Justin Fields and such like that. And I, and I think you can still keep the players happy by bringing him in in certain situations because if they score, they're happy. And, and, you know, if Andy Dalton continues to do his job, and Andy Dalton's not a, not a bad guy. I think a lot of people around the league like Andy Dalton. Um, but it, 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 there's going to be a time coming up in several weeks, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, something like that, maybe even after the bye, where Matt Nagy's seat gets blisteringly hot if he is not starting Justin Fields because he's obviously – the next heir apparent at Chicago. It's just a matter of time of when it takes place. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And, uh, I, you know, I like, again, I like the situation that the, that the Bears are in right now. And they're not expected to win a whole lot of games. But lo and behold, with Green Bay losing the way they did, Minnesota losing the way they did, I think it's still possible for the Bears to win a few games this year and maybe give themselves a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. They're not a playoff team. They're not that good. But there could be an opportunity for a little bit of a, of a lightning in a bottle and a few more division wins than we expected this season. Hey, Arizona FanDuel Sportsbook is live now right here in the state of Arizona. has been for a couple of weeks. I've been having a lot of fun. I was actually talking with somebody last night about uh, some FanDuel bets that they had. They were playing some baseball bets, and uh, she was very excited about these bets that she was playing, and she was uh, I was even excited more for her because she bet on the Giants last night, and congratulations to her, and she won some money off of that. And I'm sure that she's already gotten her money because FanDuel does pay out within 24 hours of your win. Now, to celebrate FanDuel's new arrival here in the state of Arizona, they're hooking new customers up with risk-free bets up to $1,000. That's right. Just place your first bet, and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win. It's a simple and easy to use app. Just go to the uh, you go to your whatever you, you download your apps from. Go to FanDuel's, uh, and it, it, the app is super super easy to use. There's tons of different tabs and ways to navigate the uh, the app. It's it's simple. It's really laid out well. Um, they have generous promotions every single day, depending on which different sports you're interested in. It's safe and it's secure. They have the best in class customer service. And as I mentioned, when you win. You get your winnings in as few as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sports app today so that you can see what I'm talking about. Use my promo code. Use Dean when you sign up, D-E-A-N, and you can start betting sports risk-free today with your first bet up to $1,000 and could get a refund in site credit if you don't win. Remember to use my promo code, though, Dean, so that they know that I sent you. 21 and over and present in Arizona. First online real money wager only. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions do apply. To see terms, go to sportsbook.fanduel.com. If you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342. Recently, a player joined the 3,000 strikeout club. Where does that player now land in the top 25 pitchers of all time? We'll talk about that next right here on the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. 
Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Talking Major League Baseball here. And look, this is this hits a little close to home because of my relationship with the player. But Max Scherzer, I mean, we, we need to start talking about Max Scherzer as not just the top 25 greatest pitchers of all time, but one of the top 10 greatest pitchers of all time. The discussion needs to start being made. We need to start having these discussions because the more the, the, the deeper that you dig into his accolades and his career, the more you realize just how dominant he has been during his time in Major League Baseball and where he stands all-time amongst the all-time greats. Now, my current top ten – as far as top ten pitchers of all time, and we're talking starting pitchers. I don't want to put Rivera, Monty Rivera in there or Dennis Eckersley, even though he was a starter, but obviously won MVPs and Cy Youngs as a, uh, uh, as a reliever. These are starting pitchers, and these are in no particular order. This is my top ten. This has been my top ten for quite some time, okay? I don't, I don't update this list all that often. It did get updated not too long ago with the addition of, of one player, but in no particular order, this is my top ten. Walter Johnson, Randy Johnson, Sandy Koufax, uh, Bob Gibson, Pedro Martinez, Roger Clemens, Greg Maddox, Tom Seaver, Christy Mathewson, and Clayton Kershaw. Those, those are generally my top ten. I knocked Cy Young out of the top ten with Clayton Kershaw several years ago, a few years ago. It, it's, it's tough to put Cy Young in the top. I mean, the numbers that he has are ridiculous, but he pitched every other day in an era when things were just so different. Uh, you know, he's also the major league leader in losses and major league leader in hits and runs allowed and all this other stuff. I mean, he just pitched so much. He, he just he, he filled every statistic possible. And, yes, the award is named after him, 511 wins. No one will ever, ever, ever come near that career achievement, ever. Um, so it's tough to put Cy Young in there because he just – when you pitch every other day <laughs> – you know, it, it, it's amazing to think that he didn't even get 3,000 strikeouts in his career, which is what Max Scherzer just uh, accomplished the other night in a near-perfect game that he threw uh, against the Padres the other night, an 8 nothing victory for the Dodgers. Now, let's just start to scratch the surface here. Let's look at this statistic from ESPN Stats and Info following his near-perfect game uh, the other night against San Diego. Max Scherzer has a 0.88 ERA in his eight starts with the Dodgers uh, this season, with the team winning all eight of those starts. No pitcher, no pitcher since earned runs became an official statistic in 1913 has ever had a better ERA in the first eight games that he's pitched with a team. Ever. <laughs> I mean, this is not... This is not a, it's not saying that you know nobody's ever gone eight no because the team is a good win. Nobody in 109 years has had a better ERA in their first eight starts with a, with a team ever. He now has 3,000 strikeouts. He's 37 years old. He has 3,000 strikeouts. There are 19 members of the 3,000 strikeout club. There are 32 members of the 3,000 hits club, and 28 members of the 500 home runs club. So 3,000 strikeouts a much more exclusive and much more elite club than 3,000 hits and 500 home runs, the other two major milestones 
in Major League Baseball. 300 wins is, is, a, is a bygone now. No one will ever get to 300 wins ever again because of the way that pitching is handled in Major League Baseball nowadays. He's a three-time Cy Young Award winner, is Max Scherzer. Now, when you look at the list of pitchers on the, the 3,000 strikeouts list, he is one of just seven on the list with 3,000 strikeouts to win multiple Cy Young Awards. Yeah. So the guys on that list, the other 19 guys, the other 18 guys on that list, only six of them won multiple Cy Youngs. And look, that may be indicative of the era that they pitched in. There were other great pitchers. But I think that's pretty much fluid, right? I mean, you're still competing against other great pitchers regardless of the era, regardless of the, the statistics. You're not comparing Bob Gibson to Clayton Kershaw in their numbers. You're not determining a Cy Young award based on that. You're determining the Cy Young based on their peers, the guys that pitched in that season. So who had the best year? Max Scherzer has had the best year in Major League Baseball three times in his career, which is a lot more than you can say about sixteen of the other, uh, uh, 14 of the other guys on the list. Max Scherzer, so Justin Verlander also has 3,000 strikeouts. Okay, Two active players that have 3,000 strikeouts along with Justin Verlander who got his 3,000 strikeout a couple of years ago, 2019. Scherzer reached his 3,000th strikeout in just 404 games, which is the second fastest in Major League history behind only Randy Johnson. 362 games. Took Randy Johnson 42 fewer games to reach 3,000 strikeouts. Randy Johnson, in my opinion, the most dominant pitcher ever in the history of the game of baseball. When when you ask me who the best pitcher in, in, in baseball history was, I will most likely tell you it was Randy Johnson. It may be whatever mood I'm having that day, or maybe I just say he's the best left-hander ever, and there's a right-hander that maybe is better than him. I don't know. It depends on the day that you ask me, but for the most part, I will tell you that Randy Johnson was the most dominant and best pitcher ever in the history of baseball. Max Scherzer, second only to Randy Johnson in several, several categories as far as reaching milestones at a quicker pace and things like that. Max Scherzer is one of those guys that we're looking at right now that we need to take full appreciation of because he's 37, he's not going to be pitching forever. He has had incredible durability during his time in Major League Baseball, but that's going to start to come to an end. 37 years old, just gets to 3,000 strikeouts, has, uh, what is it, 184 wins, 185 wins, something like that in his career, 189, 189 wins in his career. Okay, he'll get to 200, which is a, is an achievement in itself in this day and age of, of Major League Baseball. And he's going to do it in an era when players were, I mean, let, let's, let's call it like it is. Hitting has been ahead of pitching for quite some time. And, yes, there have been some incredible pitching moments over the last several years. No hitters, perfect game. The last perfect game, I think, was, what, 2013, 2012, something like that? It's been a while. Not very common. But the hitting that you experience and situational hitting and things like that that you're getting and late-inning comebacks, the the numbers that he's put up are just remarkable in his 14 years in Major League Baseball. To think that he was a member of the the Arizona Diamondbacks for the first couple of years and they traded him away for a bucket of balls. (laughs) You talk to Diamondbacks fans, they're still upset about that. Because the guys went on to go win Cy Young Awards for Detroit, Washington, 
and uh, is now pitching his arse off for the uh, the stinking Dodgers. He has one of the best strikeout-to-walk ratios in the history of the game. His strikeout-per-nine ratio is one of the best in the history of the game. So, yes, Max Scherzer is absolutely a top-25 pitcher of all time. But we probably need to start talking about him as a top-10 pitcher of all time because of just what we're seeing out of this guy. He just doesn't stop. You look at his numbers. I mean, he's had a couple of off years because of injury. Um, and, you know, some of the win totals were down because teams were rebuilding kind of around him, essentially. His first and his last seasons in Washington were that way. His first years in Detroit, they were building around him. Detroit was terrible when he got there. Remember how bad they were uh, in two, like 2010, 2011? God, they were awful. Then all of a sudden, bang, 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 Cy Young's, MVPs, they're, you know, they're, they're making moves. But it's time to start considering Max Scherzer, a, a pitcher that we're currently seeing, alongside his teammate Clayton Kershaw, as two of the ten best ever. Now, I, I mentioned, look, my top ten, no particular order. I do put Randy Johnson up there, Sandy Koufax. I never got to see him play, unfortunately. I've only read stories about him, read books, heard people talk about him, baseball historians, and you look at the numbers and the, the, the short time that he was in Major League Baseball, had to retire, of course, because of his horrible arthritis. Uh, certainly one of the most dominant pitchers ever. Pedro Martinez, I got to watch Pedro pitch several times and a few times live, and he was uh, he was a maestro on the mound. He was one of the most difficult pitchers to hit that I've ever seen, and he was a right-hander. So it's tough. It's tough when you when you are putting this list together, you know, and I and I may. I may switch up my list after this season is over of my top ten, and I may go ahead and put Max Scherzer in there. I don't know who I would take out. I, you know, who do I who to get rid of? Christy Mathewson? <laughs> Tom Seaver? Greg Maddox? My God. Maybe I move Clayton Kershaw out of there. Use his uh, postseason record for my uh, reasoning. Anything to put a dig into the Dodgers. All right, let's uh, let's do our let's do the, the text to win. Let's do that. We got an opening right now. We got a few minutes here. Let's do that. Um, so I've got a window open here. Let's go ahead and start the opening of the texting here because your chance to win my tickets to this Saturday's football game against NAU are right now. Text the word Gronk. That's right. Our boy, Rob Gronkowski, the lovable nickname Gronk. Text that to 68683 for your chance to win a pair of my personal tickets to this Saturday's game against NAU as the Lumberjacks come to town to take on Arizona at Arizona Stadium at 7 o'clock Saturday night. Message and data rates may apply. Text now. Text the word GRONK to 68683 for your chance to win my tickets to this Saturday's game. Bear down and good luck. All right, when we return, Aaron Gordon and the Denver Nuggets have, appear, have agreed to a uh, an extension that is going to make Aaron Gordon another very, very uh, even more wealthy, wealthy man. We'll talk about that and a little bit uh, more about Wildcat news coming up next on the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN, Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN, Tucson. Well, happy birthday, Aaron Gordon. My goodness. Aaron Gordon and the Denver Nuggets have agreed to a four-year contract extension 
which will make him an in excess of uh, it, it, it will make him $92 million on the dot, actually, not in excess, but uh, in excess to the amount that he's already made as a professional in the NBA. It was first reported by The Athletic. Now, there's a player option for the fourth year, uh, the 2025-26 season. Um, his agent, Calvin Andrews, told uh, ESPN it includes an $88 million base salary and $4 million in incentives. So $88 million could be uh, as, as much as $92 million. Now, Aaron Gordon turns 26 on Thursday. Okay, Tomorrow is his birthday. He turns 26, which is like it's still baffling. It's his eighth. This is going to be his eighth season in the NBA, and he's 26 years old. He's a baby still. 26 years old. Aaron Gordon. By the time this contract reaches its end, if he reaches all of his all of his incentive bonuses, will have made 181 million dollars in the NBA. <laughs> Holy smokes! He's 26 years old. Now. Gordon had a good year last year with the Nuggets. He averaged 12.5 points per game, nearly six rebounds, three assists. Uh, in, his, uh, in his 25 games with the Nuggets, they liked what they saw. He played even better in the postseason. Um, you know, they had to bring somebody in because of, you know, the Jamal Murray injury and things like that, and they had some other injuries on that team. Aaron Gordon elevated his game in the postseason. He played well in the first two games against the Suns, and then the Suns, obviously, in the, in the sweep in that series, just kind of, there was a, a huge swell of confidence for the Suns, and there was nothing that Denver could do in those final two games. In fact, they pretty much flat out gave up in game number four. Um, and they just the, – the, the, the Suns just locked down Aaron Gordon, and he couldn't he couldn't get loose, couldn't do anything. But I, he played extremely well in the postseason for the Nuggets, and uh, he was rewarded yesterday with that $92 million contract. So congratulations to Aaron Gordon, who was the fourth overall pick in the 2014 NBA draft, former Wildcat, of course, Bear Down. And uh, we love Aaron Gordon, and we love watching him play. And certainly one of the most exciting players in the NBA is obviously evident by his uh, NBA slam dunk contests and also the things that he does in games where he's just he's a really fun in-game dunker um, to watch. Now, you look at Denver overall, you know, they, they locked up Nik- uh, Nikola Jokic, who's the reigning NBA MVP. They signed him to a five-year deal in 2018. Okay, so he's good through the 2023 season. They signed Jamal Murray to a big deal two years ago before the bubble, so he's locked in, and he'll be ready to go for this season after his season-ending injury uh, earlier this year for Denver. Um, I don't think he's going to start the season with Denver, but I think somewhere like around Christmas, I want to say, that I think he's kind of they're kind of expecting him back. And then they got Michael Porter Jr., who, again, another oft-injured type player, a guy who, who slipped down in the draft because of his back and things like that from, uh, from uh, Missouri. And, of course, Michael Porter Jr., the, uh, uh, the highly touted uh, recruit and things like that. Look, he averaged 19 points a game last year, he's incru- and he's improved his, his shooting stroke. Like, he can actually, like, legit shoot the basketball at his size. Uh, Denver's scary good. You know, this is, this is a very athletic team. Even with Nikola, Nikola Jokic in the starting five is one of the most unathletic players in the NBA. Uh, this is this is going to be a really good team. It's going to be a really good team for several years. They've got some legit superstars who can play, and of course we know that Aaron Gordon plays at both ends of the floor. He loves playing defense. Loved to play defense when he was here at Arizona, and has really kind of staked his claim in the NBA on that uh, as well. He's a he's a he's a tenacious defender and a very good rebounder for his position. So uh, good for Aaron Gordon. Dude is uh, making millions. He's 26 years old on Thursday. 
and uh, happy birthday, AG. My goodness. <laughs> Man, I, uh, I'm, I'm proud of that dude. I'm happy for him. He's a good guy. We started the show talking about Don Brown's press conference yesterday in front of the media talking about the defense and the tackling and things like that. And, you know, they asked him, you know, what can he attribute the defensive play? Why the why the step back? Why the, the you know the, the the drastic backwards step from BYU to the game that we saw at San Diego, against San Diego State? And you know he said I've really been scratching my head over it. He says, was there a lack of energy? No. Was there too much energy? I don't know. There didn't seem to be. I just I honestly feel like when you look back, because I went back and watched that game. Um, you know, I had the the recording on and stuff, and I, I just went in. I'm glad I didn't re- delete it because I was like, well, I'm, I was going to delete it, and I'm like, oh, I may want to watch this mess again. And I'm glad I did because there were a lot of questions about Arizona's tackling and such. Um, and, I, again, I really feel like it was more San Diego State's ability to block defenders and, and Arizona's inability to get off those blocks than it was about poor tackling. There was a lot of missed tackles in the game, no doubt. There was a lot of opportunities for one-on-one tackles that didn't happen. Again, those are difficult. I don't have the numbers in front of me of what the success rate is of a one-on-one tackle in college football. I'm, I'm going to guess that it's probably at least 60% in favor of the offensive player, maybe, and that may be extremely low. It may be 80% in favor of the offensive player. It is a... It is a very tough proposition for a defender to go out there and try to tackle in space, especially on a college field where everything is so far spread out. I mean, it's, I know the field is the exact same size, but the way the, the offenses are schemed and defenses, you're out there on an island a lot. Like, there's a lot of wide open space on a college football field, and there's, there's time, you know, a lot of time where the offensive player is just – and look, you, you look at where teams put their athletes. I mean, it, it, uh, when a guy is recruited as, a, as an athlete, he gets the ATH, right? Gets his ATH, he's recruited there, and, you know, he probably played both ways in high school because, you know, the coach was like, you're our best player. we got to have you out there for every play. And the kid's like, sure, I'll do it. I'm young. I can, I can handle this. I'm the best player in the city. And, and you know, he plays wide receiver and plays cornerback uh, and led the league in touchdowns and interceptions. And then he gets to college, and they got to make a decision because you can't play both ways in college, not unless you're some kind of freak. Um, so you gotta you got to have a position, and nine times out of ten – that coach is going to put you on offense <laughs> because that's where the talented, fast guys go that have ball skills, and that's where they go. They go to offense, where you can score points for the team because offense is more important in college football than it is at other levels. It's just the most important thing. So not only are you dealing with a, a, a difficult task for a defender in wide open space to tackle an offensive player, oftentimes that offensive player has been handpicked as one of the best skill players on the team, regardless of offense or defense, and thus is playing offense, and now they're going to win that. They're going to win that battle one on one. They're going to win that battle seventy five percent of the time, whatever the number is. Um, Arizona was in too many of those positions, and when you go back and you watch the BYU game, they were not. They were gang tackling. They were all running to the balls, eleven hats to the ball, as they like to say. Uh, there was a lot of gang tackling going on in the BYU game because I felt like they were able to get off their blocks. The, the BYU wasn't as good at blocking up the you know, the Wildcats, whether it be offensive line, the tight ends, the wide receivers, the running backs, whomever was blocking for San Diego State seemed like they had their guy locked down. Wide receivers were doing a great job blocking. Tight ends did a great job blocking. Offensive line was excellent, you know, except for, uh, you know, a few of the plays where they had some TFLs. 
Uh, look, you, you got to give credit to Arizona's effort in those plays. Guys like Jalen Harris and, uh, and and Keon Bars and Trayvon Mason and uh, Levell Tatum and you know guys that had good plays in the backfield in that game. Trishon Hayward had a you know had a nice play in the backfield in that game. Uh, you just got to give them credit uh, for for making that individual effort to beat their man on that particular play. You just need to have more of those. And again. Watching the film, I didn't feel like the tackling was all that bad. I really didn't. I didn't think the technique was terrible. Again, there were a few plays where guys were lunging, didn't have their feet underneath them, uh, maybe a little bit unsure of, of how to make that tackle in space. It had slipped them, and it happened. A lot of the missed tackles were ha- occurred uh, inside the tackles, though. They, you know, Greg Bell is a very powerful runner. He's probably the best tailback in that conference and he's going to win a lot of accolades, and he's going to be drafted into the NFL, and he's going to play on Sundays. He's powerful. He's fast. He's got good patience. He can read the ball well. He well, runs well inside the tackles. He's comfortable slipping in there. He's, he's, you know, he's an NFL back, uh, and, and he made Arizona pay for it. There were some other ones that were kind of inexcusable, but you're going to get that in the game. No defense is going to be perfect. Uh, look at Nick Saban. They, they played Mercer this weekend. Beat Mercer like you know seventy four to nothing or whatever it was, and uh, I know that wasn't the real score, but you, Nick Saban, you know, the, Alabama's up forty nothing or whatever, forty eight nothing, and you know a DB misses a tackle that goes for a touchdown, and Nick Saban runs all the way out to midfield to scream at this young man all the way to the sideline, and then when he got to the sideline, he gave him some more. You're not going to have perfect tackling, even if you are an NFL caliber player playing against an FCS school or a Division two school or whatever the hell Mercer is. It's not going to be perfect. There's going to be missed tackles in games. It's going to happen. Arizona had a lot of them in their game against San Diego State. I will. I fully expect them to fix that for this Saturday night against NAU. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we'll put a big, bright, red, shiny bow on today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. You're listening here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. ESPN Tucson invites you to the to the Sierra Auction. Well, I've been drinking apparently the, uh, during the break. Invites you to the Sierra Auction live in-person public auction preview as this, fri- uh, this Friday, September 17th. Now I'm in really in my head now. From 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's located at 3911 North Highway Drive right there in Tucson. The online registration is free. You can find it at sierraauction.com. And uh, there's no dealer license required. It's open to the public. You can go down there on Saturday, uh, Friday to preview the cars and then start your bidding online Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Get the deals you deserve only at SierraAuction.com. Got a lot of great deals, and uh, they've been pumping them out for the last several weeks there, and they're open to the public now, and you can get yourself a great deal on a, on a, on a car if you're uh, searching for one. Looking ahead to the rest of the week, we will have plenty of college football to talk about over the next couple of days. There's a really big, ga- uh, really big weekend coming up for the Big Ten. Um, I found this to be quite interesting. So Auburn is going to be taking on Penn State this weekend. First of all, this is Auburn's first road trip to the Big Ten since they played at Wisconsin in 1931. <laughs> Second of all, this is only. Now, this will tell you everything you need to know about how the SEC does their scheduling, and they've been doing it for years. This is not a new iteration for the SEC, folks. This is only the third time that a ranked SEC team has visited a ranked Big Ten team 
since Bama in 2011 went to Penn State and then Georgia played at Michigan in 1965. So since 1965, this is only the third time a ranked SEC team has gone on the road to play a ranked Big Ten team. That will tell you everything you need to know about how the SEC schedules their games. They just don't. They don't leave They don't leave their area. They don't leave their state. They don't schedule ranked teams. They continue to play cupcakes year in and year out. Then they get themselves into positions where they can win championships because, hell, why wouldn't you have a 12-0 or a 13-0 or a 12-1 SEC team in the playoff playing for a championship? Certainly they've deserved it. They're undefeated, and they play in the SEC. Meanwhile, other conferences like the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, Pac-12 are scheduling ranked teams on the road uh, within either non-con. And look, a lot of these conferences continue to cannibalize one another. I do believe that the separation of wealth in the SEC has been a lot greater between the wealthy and the poor than in the other conferences, which certainly helps as well. And when you look at SEC scheduling, they play an eight-game schedule in a 14-team league. And there's plenty of times each year where Alabama doesn't play Florida, Mississippi, Georgia. Like, you know, they don't play like those, you know, those big schools from the other, you know, from the other division. So, yeah, I mean, you get those opportunities to play in those championship games and those playoffs, you're going to cash in championships. (laughs) Just the way it works. If you don't have the opportunity, you can't win a championship. You can only play the teams are put in front of you. Whatever. All right, that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Thanks to Tyler Drake, our guest and our Cardinals insider from Arizona Sports. He's a great reporter. You can follow him at T-Drake for Sports. And, of course, thanks to Mary and Austin back in studio for pushing all the buttons and keeping us on the air. Stay tuned for Spears and Ali from 3 to 6 today, and I'll see you guys again tomorrow at 7 for another edition of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN, Tucson. Thanks for listening to the Jeff Dean Show, Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Jeff will be back tomorrow morning at 7 on ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson. 1490 KFFN AM Tucson, KMXC HD4 Tucson.